That's a statue of the David, which is arguably the world's most famous statue and is historically known as the world's most viewed piece of art. Just thought today I'd like to speak to us as we again are reshaping our lives. There's many things that we are having to leave behind and there's, we're having to decide what to take forward as we go into a new season. And so I've decided to just speak about what we write in stone. What we write in stone. And I'm going to use uh, something of the analogy of the David uh, in my message. And so I'll just spend a couple of minutes just talking about this statue and you'll kind of get where I'm going and some of the lessons that we'll learn from it. But in the 1400s, uh, the kind of the, the leaders of uh, the Roman uh, environment wanted to uh, put up 12 statues that represented Christianity. Uh, and they had done a couple in the early 1400s. It came to the mid-1400s and it was time for David to be cast, the, the king of Israel, the previous king of Israel, to be cast in, in stone, so to speak. And uh, what happened was a, a delivery was made. They found this block of marble, which was six meters tall and over 10 tons big. And at the time, it was the single biggest uh, attempt at a statue that had ever been done uh, by any sculptor anywhere in the world. And so this was a very significant uh, thing that was taking place. And so what they did was they made a call for all the master sculptors to come and put forward why they should be the one to do this significant piece of work. It got awarded to a master sculptor, and uh, as he started to work on it, he very quickly realized that a block of marble that size had some fine hairline cracks in it. And he was concerned that as he was going to go, the cracks would continue to grow and the piece would fall over. And he didn't want his name attached to a piece of work that may not be as significant as first hoped or thought. And so he bailed from it. So what they did was they then went to the guy that was second on the list and they gave him a go and he started having a go at it. And very quickly he realized as well that uh, these cracks were going to be a problem for him, and he didn't want his name attached to this project, and so he let it go. 28 years, that piece of marble just sat. Then there was a young man who had heard about this, and he was 26 years old, and he went to the Roman authorities, and he said, there is still one statue outstanding, and they said, yes, no one can do it. And he said, I would like to have a go. He was not a master sculptor, this 26-year-old. He was an apprentice. And the Roman authorities had nowhere else to go, so they said, sure, have a go at it. That 26-year-old's name was Michelangelo, who has gone on to become one of the world's most famous sculptors and artists and creators. And he worked with the six-meter block of marble, with every crack, with every beautiful piece, with every deficiency. And he created the statue that is 5.17 meters tall and six tons, which is the most viewed piece of art in the history of all artworks. As we go today, I want to use this statue, and I'm going to bring it into the story of Psalm chapter 40, as the David, as David, the king of Israel, writes 
these words, and I'm going to just keep jumping between this story, and I hope you've got this picture in your mind as we go through Psalm chapter 40, and we're going to work out some things for us as we go forward, and as we work with the marble of our own lives and the marble of other people's lives that have their own cracks and deficiencies in them, and are we going to put our names to them, or are we going to shy away from them? Are we going to be the Michelangelo's, or are we going to be the unnamed sculptors that no one knows? Charles Spurgeon once said this. Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher. And he said, we are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and to write our blessings in sand. We are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and our blessings in sand. Today I want to help us flip that around. That as we come out of what has been a challenging societal period that has caused much trauma to many people, Actually, trauma to everybody at some degree. Our minds are busy forming, and so if I can use the analogy, the marble of our minds is busy forming, and what we choose to engrave is going to be crucial to what our lives will be as we go forward, both individually and with us as a community. And I want to encourage us that we would engrave the blessings of God in the marble of our minds and the trials that we experience in the sands of time that the ocean's waves will wash over. And so Psalm chapter 40, it reads like this. It's not going to come up on the screen, so you can pull out your phones, your Bibles, uh, or you can just listen to me. Written by David, the king that was cast in stone by a young 26-year-old. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, and out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the, in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number... Surround me, my sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. There are more they, they are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. 
This is the story of every human. As David writes, and he's, he's caught between the kingdom of God, the heavens, as they're coming onto earth, and yet our sinful reality. As he says, I desire to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. And on the other hand, troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. God, I pray for us tonight that you would rescue us even when we are torn between serving you and serving ourselves. Would you be pleased to remake and reform our hearts and minds this evening? First thing I want us to learn from the story of the David tonight is that we have to choose the right stone. We have to choose the right stones. It says in Psalm chapter 40, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord. As you, do, as you know, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness for your, uh, and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. See, many people know, uh, they know the story of uh, Israel being set free from uh, Egypt. They were in captivity. We sang about it tonight, from captivity, and they were set free, and, the, and, and God saved them through the parting of the Red Sea. Many people know that story. Fewer people know that uh, Israel's journey didn't end there. They went into the wilderness, and then for them to get into the promised land, God had to do another miracle, which was part the waters of the Jordan River. And this is what God says to the Israel nation. He says, as you walk through the waters, I want one person from each tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel to take a stone from the bottom of the Jordan River where I have saved you and uh, allowed you to walk across on dry ground. And where you stay tonight, where you camp tonight, uh, put them all on top of one another that it may memorialize the saving act that I have committed and performed to you as Israel. And we read the story in Joshua chapter 4. I'm not going to read it, but you can read it. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. But in the back end, this is what God says. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to, to, to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. You see, too often what we do today is we bring stones that represent our trials into today's present world and into our future, as opposed to stones that represent our blessings. And I believe that every single one of us in every circumstance of our lives, there, are, there is a choice. There are two stones that we get to choose from, and we get to choose the one of our trials, or we get to choose the one of God's blessings, and that is the one that's going to start to determine and be engraved in the marble of our minds. What are you going to choose today? I want to tell you a story. It is a personal story for Jackson and me, and uh, I, I, this, I'm going to tell the story, but I trust that you'll be able to Think of your own story that kind of aligns with it. But for Jax and me, when, we, uh, when Jax gave birth to our third born, uh, but our first son, Jed, many of you know him, it was a very traumatic, complicated birth. 
And as he was born, for those that uh, have had children, you know there is something called the APGAR test. If you don't know what it means, it doesn't matter. You're supposed to get at least 9 out of 10, if not 10 out of 10. And literally it's just, is he breathing? Does he have vocal cords? Like, it's very simple tests that every born, born baby should be able to get 9 or 10 out of 10 for. And Jed was born and his APGAR score was 1 out of 10. Because what had happened was there was complications in the birthing process and there was a rupture and he had lost 60% of his blood and therefore the, the 40% that was remaining in his system turned toxic because of the shock and uh, toxic blood. So one, he only had 40% and two, it was non-functional because of its toxicity and uh, he was born effectively stillborn. And as the nurses and as the Ghani ran to try and get him hooked up onto machines, they couldn't get the machines to work. And I'd phoned Piet and tears. Piet was the previous leader of this church, and he broke every traffic law. There are times when it is appropriate to do so when you're looking at saving people's lives. And, uh, and he got to us, and, he, and Piet and I, we, we laid our hands on this little life as doctors and nurses were scrambling in the natural to get things to work, but they couldn't. And we trusted for the supernatural, and we laid our hands on this little boy. And we started to see color start to come from the tip of his head down as oxygen started to get to his brain. And as he came down, as he came down. But we're talking 30 minutes here after birth. And blood came to just below his heart and then it stopped. And it was the most remarkable thing seeing red from here to here and gray from here to here. Many of you know Jed and he is an incredible athlete and full of energy and God has done a miracle. I've told that story before. The part of the story I haven't told is as the doctors and the nurses and everyone was trying to attend to Jed and they had pulled him out of the, the birthing room because they needed machines, because of the complication and the trauma, Jax's body had responded in trauma. And she was busy fighting for her life all on her own without any attention. We sit here today, Jax is healthy and well, Jed is healthy and well, but here's the reason for telling the story. It was very traumatic, and God did a saving work, and we had a choice to make as to what stone we were going to take out of that occasion, because if we had taken the stone of trial, if we had engraved the trial into the marble and the blessing of God upon the sand, we would have said, no more kids for us because we don't want to risk facing the trial that we faced. But we decided to take the stone of God's saving hand with us, and we have four more beautiful children. What stone do you take out, friends? In every trial, God is there. Terry Virgo says this, Difficulties you face are sometimes because of other people. Sometimes they're self-inflicted. I would probably change that to most times they're self-inflicted. They come and they go. Don't wait until they pass before you start doing life again. This is life. Find God and experience God in all of life. He's always there. As God said to the Israelites, when you thought you were going to die, I made a way. From that place, take a stone. I want to encourage you as we look at this first point, take the right stone, choose the right stone from your helplessness, from your exposure, from your vulnerability, from your complaint. 
God is rescuing and He's at work. What stone are you going to pick up? Choose the right stone to take forward with you as we build into 2022. Number two, we have to engrave the right way. See, what happened with those two master sculptors is they started to come upon cracks in this huge marble block. And what they desired to do would have caused the entire block to break up. What art experts will tell us, as I did a bit of reading, was Michelangelo changed the way that he was going to do sculpting on this piece and started to work with the cracks. And we have the result. Engrave the right way. It says this in Psalm chapter 40 from verse 4 onwards. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you were I to speak and tell of your deeds. There would be too many to declare. Are we going to engrave the right way, friends? Are we going to engrave the right way? And I am unapologetically going to insert something that I heard on Thursday night from a man called Terry Virgo into my message. I had, I had this point and my version of it, and I heard an 82-year-old man that God has graced with an apostolic gift who planted and started a New Frontiers International, which has been part of changing the face of church on the globe as over a thousand churches have been planted through the New Frontiers ministry. And I had the privilege of sitting under his ministry on Thursday night. And uh, unashamedly, he would do a much better, he did do a much better job than I would do. So I've just taken it and I've put it in here tonight because it is encouraging. And so in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Now remember we're talking about engraving in the right way, hey? That's what we're talking about. That's the context. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord. And it goes on. So I want to talk about just one aspect of engraving in the right way. Engraving in the right way. Number one, we have to remember that God has spoken words from many years ago. So in order to fulfill the words of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, God does not forget the promises over his people, friends. You may think that he has forgotten. I want to remind you today that he has not forgotten. Engrave correctly. He has not forgotten. But then the key point is this. Any of his people, what God has done has always had his people. From the beginning of time, he chose a man and a woman, and then he chose a family, and then he chose a nation, and then through his son Jesus Christ, he's chosen a bride called the church. He has a people. And those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ have an opportunity to be part of those people. And I say opportunity because I think too many of us just accept salvation, but we don't add ourselves to the His people. In Acts chapter 3, Peter's preaching and 3,000 people get saved. And this is what the Scriptures say. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Not saved that day. Added to their number that day. And so here's a question for you. Are you added to His people? 
Or are you one who's just accepted his salvation and come here Sunday after Sunday just to see what you can get, what blessing you can receive? See, God has a people, and he adds people to that. And he invites you not just to receive his salvation, but to be added into that story. Are you added in that story? We have to engrave the right way, friends. See, trials come and go. Put them in the sand. But adding ourselves to the work of God on earth is the greatest engraving we can do. I want to tell a story at the permission of a man who was in our 10 o'clock congregation, a man called Chris Lee. Some of you may know him. Chris and Chardet, a married couple, they found their way into this church through our recovery work. So they did not know Jesus. Uh, Chris was caught up in in the addiction of substance abuse. Uh, Their world was a mess. They heard about the recovery work here. They came in. They found Jesus and uh, came to add themselves into the life of this church. Then nine months, ten months, eleven months, it's not so important. But uh, several months later, Chris had a relapse. What that means is he turned back, he went back onto the substance abuse. And he disappeared for a night. But this is what happened. He had added himself into a community. And so when the community heard, there was a whole bunch of people that went looking for him and hunting for him. And then they found him. I think if I remember correctly, it was a Thursday night. Again, it doesn't really matter. But there was a time gap between when he was found and that Sunday when the community gathered. And Chris had a decision to make. He had a decision whether he was going to walk in the shame of what he had done and not embrace, uh, added into the number with his cracks and all. Or if he was going to, so if he was going to just stay away and I... I can only imagine what their life would be right now if he had not come back. But he made the courageous call because he had added himself. He had found salvation. And yes, he had a crack. But the master sculptor was busy working with him. And he came into a community that loved him and embraced him with his cracks, with his deficiencies, because we all have those. And he came back here. Now we fast forward a couple of years. And in the last three weeks, he's been prophesied over twice that God's calling him into a leadership role, not just in the recovery space, but over his people. This is the redeeming work of God, friends. This is the redeeming work of God, and we have options before us. God says, are you going to choose the stone of the trial, or are you going to choose the stone of my saving grace? Are you going to engrave in such a way that you're going to just receive the blessings that I have from salvation, or are you going to add yourself to the community that I've been building from the beginning of time? What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? See, the church needs you. All of you. All your cracks. All your deficiencies, all your deformities, the church needs you. We are God's masterpiece. We read in Hebrews how the angels long to look into these things that we have got to experience. See, the angels have never known salvation. They've never known being added into the family of God. They've never known restoration. That's not their story. And they look upon us, as the Hebrew writer says, and they've longed for what we've experienced. And yet we just glibly take it and we, we value trials over blessings. And we, 
value taking stuff out of the church rather than adding ourselves into the story of what God is writing. Number three, we need to place the stone in the right place. Psalm chapter 40, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. This is what happens when we stop declaring his saving acts. We become cynical, critical complainers. If I were to ask you this past week, tell me about the challenges you've had and tell me about God's saving grace. By experience, I can say this with confidence, you'd rattle off your challenges like this. You'd battle to find God's saving grace. Because as humanity, that's not a criticism, that's just the human condition. The human condition is we battle, we battle to engrave God's blessings on the marble of our mind. We hold on to our trials. Woe is me. We love to play the victim. Jesus has this encounter with a group of unwell people in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. They've got this disease called leprosy. And they, uh, in leprosy, it was known, uh, if you got leprosy, you were unclean in the Israelite community. And so you were actually kicked out of the city. And so it says in Luke chapter 17 that as Jesus was entering the city, he found these 10 men because they were sitting outside. And they cried out to him. They said, Jesus, would you save us? Another saving act, a gracious act of God. And Jesus says, actually, go to the priest and show, their, show yourself to him. So there was a, a faith step that they had to take because they hadn't yet been clean. They had to get up and start walking. And it says, as they were on their journey, they were healed. And then this is what happens. We read in verse 15, only one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Jesus asked, we're not there ten who were cleansed, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Friends, I wonder, as we stand here, we've got to place it in the right place. If we, we, put, that, uh, if we put that into context, so the David, Michelangelo, who had worked on that piece of marble for two and a half years every single day, so the records say. Two and a half years, every single day, he worked and he knew every inch, every millimeter of that statue. And he begged them. He begged the authorities. He said, this has to go indoors. It is one big marble block where sculptors of the day didn't choose to have such a big sculpture. They would rather work in smaller blocks and glue them together so that they wouldn't have to face these very challenges. And Michelangelo said, if, they, if it stands outside, it's going to be in such a position that its cracks are going to be exposed and it's going to fall over. So what did the authorities do? They didn't listen to the one that had sculpted it for two and a half years. They put this, this, this incredible sculpture outside and it started to weather and it started to break. And then they caught on and they moved it indoors to where it's been now for 500 years in the Academia Museum in Florence. 
See, friends, we have to position ourselves in the right place. We can take the right stone, we can engrave in the right way, but if we keep putting ourselves in the wrong position, our cracks are going to get exposed, and the enemy is going to get in, and we're not going to stand tall for the glory of God. If those authorities had not uh, relented and had kept that statue there, millions upon millions upon millions of people would not have been able to see the magnificence of the statue. If you do not position yourself in the right place, millions upon millions upon millions of people do not get to see the glory of the master sculptor as he has worked with your cracks and your deficiencies and your deformities to make you into this glorious being. And so I ask you this question. I ask you this question. What can you engrave into marble today? What can you engrave into marble today? What needs to be reshaped in your mind? What needs to be rethought? What needs to be remade? I like to try to be helpful when I stand on stage, and I felt like God asked me those questions, and so... I have processed this, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do this week. Not that you have to do it, but I'm just telling you what I'm going to do to help you understand it. For the past four months, I have been undergoing an incredible trial. There has been relational breakdown. It's been traumatic. But these people that I've had relational breakdown with have previously been a blessing in my life. And I have watched myself over four months start to engrave the trial in my mind. And it started to shape how I am thinking and behaving towards these people. And I just, as I was preparing this message, I just felt God say, hey, Rich, just check that. You're, you're engraving the trial when actually you should just write that in the sand. Engrave the blessing. And so this week, I'm going to write personal notes to every one of those people, not to manipulate them, but to tell them of the blessing they've been in my life in years gone by. It's going to be brutally hard. But I'm committed to engraving the right story. I'm committed to choosing the right stone. I'm committed to putting it in the right place. Because then I believe God gets the glory. Would you stand with me? Charles Spurgeon says, We are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. Would you choose the right stones? Would you engrave the right way? And would you place the stones in the right place? Just a thought, friends. That marble block sat unattended for 28 years after two master sculptors had a go at it. Michelangelo, 26 years old, came and started, restarted the work. God had to form a whole new man. God had to form a whole new man to complete the task that was at hand. 
No one could do it. Two years later, Michelangelo was born. 26 years, he was an apprentice in sculpting. 28 years, he put his hands onto the masterpiece. You too have been created, and if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you have been recreated, and you have been given a second chance to position yourself in the right way. You have a story to write. You have a contribution to make. The Scriptures say you are in this particular place at this particular time in order that some may come to know Jesus. Would you allow God to engrave upon the marble of your mind the saving grace and blessings? And then would you position yourself in such a way that you may be the solution that God has created years in advance for such a time as this? This is our story, friends. This is what we get to be a part of. This is what God invites us into. This is what we get to choose tonight. I wonder if there are any of you here tonight that have never put their trust in Jesus Christ. You've never accepted Him as your Savior. But tonight, for the first time, you would say, Richard, I, I've not experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And tonight I recognize that I need that. I don't need you to understand everything, friends. I just need you to know that we need the saving grace of Jesus Christ to stand before our Father in heaven. So if you are here this evening and want to make that decision, I'm just going to ask you just to raise your hand quickly so that I can see you, acknowledge you, because I want to pray for you, help you take your next step. Is there anyone in the room that would say, hey, I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ, and I've never done that before? Jesus, my prayer for all of us in this room is that by your Spirit, you would engrave upon us your saving grace. Would we acknowledge that, the blessings that you have given to us? The trials come and go. Your saving grace stands. We receive it. We engrave it upon our minds. And we put ourselves, we add ourselves to your people for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends.